point is, ladies and gentlemen, that green, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolution. drugs and their effects and what they do to the mind and so every experience is personalized so uh we typically uh it's it's i don't talk about a drug unless i have heavy experience with it and uh it's the same with guests so we do interviews and uh it's the same with them um typically that means that they were addicts or addicted or identify themselves as addicted Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't plan that, and that's not always the case. But typically, if someone has extensive use of cocaine or meth or heroin, and uh, they usually were addicted. Now, they, they, uh, the only thing that I've noticed uh, where they're not addicts and they have extensive experiences with psychedelic drugs because psychedelic drugs are kind of their own class of things. So yeah. we go over psychedelics as well. Um, and it, it really is a personal experience channel. In other words, it's not, this is, there's no use statements. There's no, uh, we're going to teach you about denial. We're going to teach you about mental health. We're going to teach you like 10 tricks to stay sober today. Uh, it's very much so about our own experiences. I share mine in vlogs. And uh, when I vlog, it's like, okay, so this is what marijuana addiction was like, or this is what marijuana was like. Those are two different videos. One, I'm focusing on the effects. One, I'm focusing like on marijuana addiction. I'm focusing on my story where I'm going through like the first time I smoked and the transitions into marijuana addiction. And when what's marijuana like would be more of like, these are the effects that I had from marijuana. And it's the same with, you know, all substances. And then with the interviews, um, they tend to be, uh, usually they're licensed professional counselors, not always, but I've, they seem to be really passionate about recovery. They're definitely doing it for more than a paycheck because, um, they don't get paid enough for what they do. Yeah, and they definitely. tend to have put a lot of thought into recovery and uh, their addiction so they can recollect a lot better. That They're just regular everyday people. They're not paid. They don't have YouTube channels to plug. They don't have podcasts. They don't have anything. I mean, they're just regular people that uh, come out and speak about their experiences, with, say, with meth or Adderall addiction 
or whatever it is and like what dose they took, what the high felt like, what the come downs were like, what the withdrawal was like. And then we get into what caused you to get sober, which is kind of like their bottom, which I think everybody wants to know. It's, it's educating people on, cause they might have a friend who's addicted. They might be addicted themselves and they might want to know like, what would cause my friend to get sober? And then we go into how do you stay sober today? So it's like that combination of we're educating people on the drug and, and what reactions are abnormal in the sense that, you know, if you take a drug and it makes you feel good, that's perfectly normal. We're not anti-drug. Uh, we believe in recreational drug use and we believe it Me should too. be legal. Me yeah, too. we believe it absolutely it should be legal. Um, but like when someone comes in and says, you know, the first time I took Adderall, I felt complete. Well, that's kind of like uh, when I was using drugs, that was what I was looking for is a drug to make me feel complete. I saw that as a positive thing. But after watching mm -hmm. the videos that I produced, I might have thought, you know, that's like an allergic reaction. We always think of allergic reactions as like a negative thing, like you get hives or you get anxiety or depression. But uh, feeling complete from a drug is actually a negative reaction, even though that's kind of what people are seeking out. It's like with alcohol. Uh, someone who drinks alcohol and they feel like, you know, they, they, they're like a caveman who discovered fire. What we're trying to do is make them think twice at that point. Um, we're not really deterrent of drug use, uh, but we do try, we do encourage people to think twice. We do encourage them to wait until they're older, uh, to make those decisions, like decisions like trying ecstasy. There's a lot of people that are deciding that at like 16, 18, even 20 years old. I personally think that's a very adult decision and it should be made when, when I wish someone would have told me make that decision when you're 25, the drugs aren't going anywhere. Yeah. But your life, your brain's your developed. Life, yeah. Your life easily can because before the age of 25, uh, when your brain's not fully developed, you primarily process decision-making through the amygdala, which is the emotional center of the brain. So oh, wow. decisions are influenced heavy by emotions, which could be seeking social reward or reward from the drug itself because they change the way we feel. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're 25, you primarily process decision-making through the frontal cortex, which is more logical. I used to hate people saying, you're just a kid, you don't understand, but this is just on a physiological level that the way that you perceive trying a new drug like cocaine at the age of 25 is completely different than how you would try it at the age of like even 20 or even 18 or 16. And, uh, I started using drugs at 17 and I wish that's a message I got. I also think like dare with their propaganda effort lacks a lot of transparency. That, um, I totally agree. Yeah. I think it's a lot of bullshit. So when I use drugs, I was emotional. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be a rebel rebel. I remember kind of having that fuck dare mentality. They lied to me. So fuck them. And that pushed me harder to use drugs. If anything, dares promoted drugs in my life. Uh, yeah, I feel the exact same way. Yeah. So we're counteracting with the truth and, uh, it's a media company. I mean, and, uh, it's not just my truth. It's not just one guy. We're not captain recovery. We don't, we don't, I don't even, you know, I don't teach people how to be sober. I don't give advice on how to be sober. Uh, I share how I got sober and how I stay sober. Uh, I accept DMS and I respond for free and I've been doing that for years. I get about 200 a day and I respond to almost all of them. I, I have my Shit. phone number. Uh, it's it's Google, it's not traceable. It's Google Voice, but I have my yeah. phone number in the description of many videos. Some of those superseding a million views. So I also nice. get text messages. And uh, the reason I do that personally, and the reward I get out of it is when I was in addiction, I didn't have anyone to talk to. All my friends either used, or the people that didn't use were like my family and my work friends. And I felt like you know they would be scared of me because of the stigma. 
So yeah. uh, I like being there for people. And when they text me, I'm just a friend. You know, I don't give advice. If they ask a question about and it relates to my experience, I answer. But the main thing, I mean, uh, on top of that, giving people, giving addicts like someone to reach out to, it's just someone to talk to that's not going to sell them rehab because there's tons of rehab referral agencies, tons of bullshit out there. It's all a money scheme. Like recovery has been, you know, turned into monetization exactly. almost. It's like to have a genuine friend that cares and is doing it simply because they care for no money, I think would have inspired something that was always in me. So like I wanted to be sober for a while and it was in the back of my head. And I think getting it out to somebody and uh, talking to them, even a guy I don't personally know, um, would have inspired something that was always in me. And I might have taken action a bit sooner. And a lot of those guys have. And I get now I get texts that, hey, I'm a year sober. Thank you so much for talking to me a year ago when I had nobody. And that's that's a personal reward thing as far as like the societal reward. Uh, I think having these guests come out and speak without the uh, incentive of monetary gain and they're just regular everyday people opens up the discussion, makes it less taboo to talk about. Oh, yeah. And the other thing we do is we send the videos to um, rehabilitation facilities across the United States. Oh, to, uh, wow. Yeah, for them to educate their staff because in uh, college they actually send uh, students to AA meetings to learn about addiction or like 12-step meetings, I should say, uh -huh. uh, which is totally wrong because in 12-step meetings there's only one solution and people typically uh, follow the crowd and they're not going to speak against it. You aren't going to really get – like it's not designed to be educational. Uh, where our videos are. So we design them for the universities, like an example, and not all of them are released on my channel. Examples like atheist take on the 12 steps. So interviewing oh, nice. an atheist who uh, really shares how he felt going into a meeting and really shares like how he's came to terms with the 12 steps. You won't get that in an AA meeting. You won't get the kind of content we have. So we're working on getting academic partnership with the top tier university right now. And uh, getting these in front of students so that they can understand addiction and doctors so they can understand addiction a bit better. There's this big disconnect between doctors and their patients like you don't understand what I'm going through. And um, I don't think th I don't think they ever fully will. But that's no reason to not try. And if you look at like the media that's already out there, um, we have like shows like Intervention. Oh. Uh, let me think. We have documentaries where it's like 20 people spliced together and it's not really, I mean, and we have, um, rehabs trying to sell their stuff and it's just like all focus on the solution. No talking about the problem, you know, glance over that. Um, and so, uh, what we do is put a camera in front of an addict and ask him questions, make him feel comfortable and get their story. It's just transparent content. That's all it is. You know, for the mother that has a son struggling with heroin, uh, that just wants to understand it a bit better for the heroin addict that wants hope for the counselor that wants to understand their patients better. And honestly, for the general public, for educational and entertainment purposes. So it kind of covers all bases. That's actually I think that's really fucking amazing um, that you do that and send, you know, your content out to universities, because like I, I, I honestly I haven't gotten really or I haven't sought out sponsorships or monetary gain at all. I've just been trying to do this because it's it's actually a uh, more fun than when I was in active addiction. And I think the internet is vastly growing into a major tool where people are now able to build, build online support groups with people from all over the fucking world and, um, have that there, even if they don't have any friends in their hometown that are, you know, clean. Um, because what I've noticed is, I mean, getting clean is not just, 
the abstinence of drugs, you also have to kind of rechange and rebuild your whole life into something entirely and surround yourself with a completely new set of people. Um, and kind of as the, at least for myself, uh, when I was getting clean, figure out what needed to be, you know, totally restructured in order to find the, or make those routes easier. And, um, and like you said, it's not easy when you have all this propaganda of some, you know, some rehabs, they want you to, the door to be like continually revolving and they want you to relapse so that you could go right back into their facility and pay the money. And, um, it's been just, I've just been seeing like throughout my entire life, you know, I'm 35 now, but I just seen our, you know, our law enforcement and, you know, our healthcare system just drop the ball so many times. Like you said, with dare, I thought they, that couldn't be the, uh, more like a worse idea. You know, when you're that young, you're like two things I noticed you're curious about the world and new things around you and you're rebellious. So now you have a fucking cop go in your classroom, the ultimate authority figure telling you don't do that fucking marijuana. Don't do this. And like when I was in sixth grade and a dare officer came to our class, I didn't even know about marijuana until they introduced me to it, you know? And then when you find out they lied about marijuana, then you just, you think that well what else are they lying about and it yeah, just, if i said uh, it becomes a joke and, it, yeah. and if you say i'm not using drugs because i dare to be drug free back in high school would have punched you in the face yeah a lot I of people uh, you know i would have <laughs> laughed at you or punched you in the face I, I was an asshole in high school i've changed a lot since then i'm just so nobody would say that and uh nobody would go around with the daryl the lion shirt you know <laughs> but no it's just that's good for i think element maybe elementary stage but especially when you get into the high school stage then you have like the health teachers that it's just not personable at all i mean uh it would be a lot better to show a video of someone who's actually been there and, and shares their story or have an addict speak in recovery yeah. that came from just smoking weed for the first three years and share how they transitioned and, and share like about the, the support group that's currently available. Uh, but that, you know, really the biggest thing I see and like the, the problem I'm trying to solve. Cause I, I think the internet, like with YouTube videos, um, I think when I was down and out and I was miserable and I was addicted to drugs, I think if I saw a YouTube video and a guy was just saying the same exact problem I had, um, and I related to it, that alone would have been enough to inspire me. He wouldn't yeah. have to sell me recovery. So the problem with recovery advocacy, especially on the um, the way it's done online and uh, not just online, but just in general, is um, I think a lot of people that are in recovery suffer from what's called the Messiah complex. So I'll just read it out to you. Uh, it's also do. known as the Christ complex or savior complex. It's a state of mind in which an individual, individual holds a belief that they are destined to become a savior. And... Uh, you see that all over YouTube. It's like uh, recovery advocacy has kind of become its own form of evangelism. Like people make it their goal to save others. And that's where it comes off to be very uh, God-centric and, and it almost push atheists away and it almost feels oversold. And it, it feels like, who are you? It's who like very divisive. You? Yeah, who the fuck are you to come up here and speak recovery all the time and try to teach me how to try to save my life. Like who the fuck, what makes you so special? And, uh, luckily like I've avoided that because I was really more interested in educating people on drugs in the beginning. And I've just always avoided that. And, uh, I had some videos where I was sharing like how to be sober. I've deleted them since, 
but I never really struggled too much with that Messiah complex because the, the truth is the addicts I'm speaking to saved me. That's the yeah. bottom line. So I, I just think in recovery advocacy and you'll go on YouTube and you'll see this shit everywhere. It's like, they're just like, I am so grateful to be alive. Hope God 12 steps. I stay with my sponsor every day. I work this, I worked that like a recovery coach. And that's all you can fucking find. There's nobody like getting real and just cause you to, to you know, to talk to an addict, you almost got to talk drug to them. You know, you, yeah. you can't talk recovery because in a way, when you talk too much recovery, you alienate yourself from them. You're like, my life is so great. I found my Lord and Savior. You know what I mean? And it's like now you're alienated from them rather than getting down to their level. And to be honest, I don't give a fuck to talk about those kind of things. I don't care to sit there on a five minute video and brag about how much hope I have and how great my life is. But you'll see that all over recovery. What I'm interested in talking about is the problem. You hear, you hear some corny ass YouTubers that we talk about the problem, but focus on the solution. I don't want to, dude. I get like the solution is my fucking information is in the description. I'm someone you could reach out to. There's help out there. I am not your savior. And to be honest, like this might sound cold hearted, but I, I really, uh, I addicts help me and I help them, and it's a mutually beneficial relationship. If someone decides to keep using, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to sit there and try to convince them that they need recovery because I, I genuinely don't care. And uh, that might sound cold hearted, but uh, I think that's more effective in helping them than oh, it would definitely. be if I were to sit there and baby them and be like, oh, you should want this. Because when people feel like they're being sold something, like when you get an ad on YouTube or you get an ad on a Google or a website, what's your immediate reaction? Shut this shit off. Yeah, disingenuous. The second someone tries to sell you, and pl- even if you did manage to sell it to them, so they bought it, well, now you're taking credit for their recovery. So now they don't really feel like it's theirs. They feel like, you know, my recovery is, is Phillips, which is not, it's just, and that's only going to last for so long because eventually I will let people down. If I'm the reason people get sober, I swear to you, I will let you down. I will say something you don't like. I will do something you don't like. Whether it's a year from now or 10 years from now, there will be controversy about me. And uh, it will be stuff that people turns people off and don't make me your higher power and have no interest in a messiah complex. And that's uh, one of the biggest touchstones with recovery advocacy on top of the dare. And uh, even with when you go into uh, support group meetings, it's like everybody in those meetings suffers from a messiah complex. So like the most important person in the meeting is a newcomer because we have to save them. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can save themselves. It's important to be there for them and listen to them and talk to them after the meeting. But some people come in way too strong and turn people off in the 12 steps because they come in trying to save them. And mm-hmm. honestly, they're not even saved. Like they're fucked up in the head. You're like what makes them so special? And then people just don't go back. Yeah. You're really, I mean, recovery advocacy is just being real, talking about the shit that's interesting because the solution's not that interesting, to be honest. It really isn't. Like the solution, yeah, it's it's get a job. It's go to the gym. It's it's work through denial with the counselor. It's We know these things. Like to, to repeat them over and over again is like beating a freaking dead horse. It's been dead for like 80 years. Uh, the problem <laughs> yeah. is interesting. Like what's meth psychosis like? Ugh. Why did I start using meth? What were meth crashes like? Like going into uh, how hard is it to quit meth? Uh, what is it like to mix meth with heroin? And, uh, 
and, uh, you know, what, what caused me to get sober and stuff is fine. I'm not saying, you know, I just see a big problem in recovery advocacy along with the drug education, you know, both of them are fucked up if you ask me. So I'm, I'm trying to step in and I'm not arrogant, dude, because like the truth is I didn't think this out before I started my channel. Uh, the video I did that popped off is what's meth addiction like. And that, oh, that yeah, video saw that. In particular, yeah, that one, it's at like 3.6 million views. Nice. Uh, that video in particular, I was sitting with a friend of mine. Her name's Tammy. And uh, we were watching Breaking Bad, and she asked me, what's meth like? And I said, you know, it'd be better if I made you a video. And that way you could, I could share it with more people. And I originally had it unlisted and made it public. Um, so in other words, like, it was really something I made for her. And then that before that, I did some videos about my sobriety and, like, how I prevent relapse and stuff, but not really into it. Well, that video popped off, and as a result, I was like, okay, so this is what people are interested in. Let's do what's heroin like. Let's do what's cocaine like. Let's do like a series because I'm a poly addict, meaning, uh, and we'll get into that in a minute, what I think addiction is. I hope we get into that. I don't want to like ramble for too long. but <laughs> No, I find this very fucking interesting, so please continue. So I'm a, I'm a poly addict. Uh, what that means is uh, addicted means if you look up the definition of addicted, it's enthusiastically devoted to any particular thing or activity. Mm -hmm. So, uh, have I been addicted to every drug on my channel? Well, that's a very broad, broad term and everybody's going to define it personally. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I consider myself showing enthusiastic devotion to cocaine if I inject it in my veins. Definitely. And, you know, if I snort an eight ball in the night, which are things I've done. Now, some people will say that they read that term and they think enthusiastic, which is a subjective term means that you have to snort enough cocaine to blow out your nose. You know, and be homeless and, and fucking selling off your guinea pigs at the pawn shop for another line of coke. Yeah. And uh, so, like, people, like, criticize me for that. I see addiction is a very broad thing. So I was, I was willing to make those videos and identify myself as a poly addict. And what I see addiction is, is uh, I think we as humans are meant to be happy about a lot more things than we typically are. I think everybody's addicted. Everybody has enthusiastic devotion to particular things and activities. When in reality, we should be enthusiastically devoted to life. In other words, um, if someone pulls out like a notebook and writes down what makes them happy and they do it genuinely and uh, they don't do it based on what I'm about to say, but they genuinely write down everything and they make a list. Uh, what you're going to see on that list is maybe like five items, eight items. Mm -hmm. um, the, the list, if it was done perfectly, which never is, the list would be endless. The list would never stop because yep. – the, there's so many things in life to be happy about, like having breath in your lungs, having legs, having integrity, uh, mm -hmm. having, you know, having a podcast, uh, having access to the internet, having a roof over your head. I mean, literally the list goes on and on. And in addiction, we tend to only have like a couple things that make us happy, which is usually the drugs. Yeah. So, and then the problem with that is things that make you happy stop working. There's days where having breath in your lungs won't make you happy. You know, it's just not a thought. Or there's days where having your podcast won't make you happy or uh, having a YouTube channel won't make you happy or having a car won't make you happy. Why? Because you got in a wreck. Well, if the car is the only thing in the world that makes you happy and now it doesn't make you happy anymore, you become miserable. So what do you do in that state? Well, you, you replace it with something else. And, yeah. uh, so the opposite of addiction to me, and I've heard it's connection and community, which I think is an aspect of things. That's one of the things that make people happy. I disagree with it. I think it's, it's balance and it's finding joy in, in multiple streams of joy. 
In other words, if you, if you only have five things that make you happy in this life, then that's where I personally define addiction for me. Um, it needs to be at least 20 things that I could write down off the top of my head that are, you know, I'm happy about genuinely happy about if it's not 20 things, then find more and find a way work through that find Cause I think recovery in a nutshell, um, it's about making your life better. When your life's better, you stop wanting to use drugs. That's as simple as Definitely. it is. It's so crazy because I came out like with addiction and you can get really complicated and read all these self-help books and get really into Scott Peck and Melody Beattie and all this shit. And I've done that. I've been down that path and you get into denial and all this cognitive behavioral therapy and like understanding the definitions and stuff. But the more I learn about addiction, the less I know. So what that means is the more I learn about addiction, the more simple it becomes. Um, addiction is uh, that simple. You don't have enough things making you happy in life. What's recovery? Uh, finding more things to make you happy in life so you don't want to use drugs anymore. And that's as simple as I could put it. And for everybody, that path is different. For some people, 12 steps makes them more happy. A lot of people, a lot of people, that's a good balancing point. For some people, it doesn't. And it's really just about exploring now that the drugs are out of the picture. The one thing that made you happy, you got to replace it with not just one thing, but a bunch of things. Because if you replace it with any one thing, say I quit drugs, I replace it with just work. I'm going to be a workaholic, food. I'm going to be obese. It's about replacing it with art. Uh, relationships, uh, integrity, like building a, building up your character, going to the gym, nutrition, uh, playing an instrument. It's about building it up with as many things as possible. And of course, this is like a very difficult thing for the addict in recovery because physiologically speaking, they're going through acute withdrawal and post-acute withdrawal syndrome, yep. and they're not used to exploring life. So this is a very new thing for them. And, uh, that's why there's support out there. And I think support groups are great, regardless if you like programs or not, if you're turned off by what they say, I think going to 12 step programs is critical to have that support while you're doing that. So you can bounce it off others and share your frustrations because you are going to have many, uh, that being said, a year goes down the road, six months. It depends on how much work you put in. You become so you have so much joy and so many things going on and you're not overly dependent on any one thing. Like right now I have a girlfriend, you know, but I have so many things that made me make me happy. If I found out, you know, she leaves me tomorrow, uh, I would be upset about it, but I wouldn't be destroyed. So I don't feel like locked down by anything. And, uh, that to me is like the core of recovery. And it took time to get to that place. And, uh, so that was kind of a ramble, but that's why I, when that video took off, I felt at Liberty to discuss those drugs and on my channel, it's not like I'll discuss a drug I did three times. I'm not like, Hey, this one time at band camp, I took ketamine and I fucking saw stars. I don't see any context to that. I don't see it being thorough enough. I, to have someone speak about ketamine or for me to speak about it on my channel, it would have to be, I've done enough of it to give you like the full scope of the experience. Like you know, what's coming off it like, what is K-holes like, uh, what is uh, low dose, high dose, you know what I mean? Medium dose, all that kind of stuff. So, No, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. And it, it's my first take on what I saw your YouTube channel. It was it reminded me of, you know, that website back in the day, uh, arrowhead.org with the trip yeah. reports. Yeah, it was almost like that. But a, like a more updated medium with videos and interviews. And um, it was really interesting because for the most part, yeah, you know, a lot of people who are struggling in an addi active addiction right now, they feel kind of lost and 
they don't know what like direction to turn to. Um, and it's kind of interesting, you know, to see where things were back then, you know, like when, how old are you by the way? 29. Okay. So yeah, we were, you know, pretty much close to the same age. Um, you know, back then, like it was like, there was, we were very limited on what, you know, you know, outlets or possibilities to, you know, our you know, access to information was the, the internet when, back in the AOL days. It was just so different um, that I think what you're doing is like so new and like kind of a revolutionary in you know, 2019 as paving the way of possibility of what can be done. Um, but I did want to ask you because a lot of the videos I have seen on your channel did talk about, um, you know, methamphetamine. So um, can I ask, are you diagnosed or were previously diagnosed ADD or ADHD? No. Okay. Um, were you, but you, you never prescribed Adderall? You just like, if you were ever taking Adderall, it was like from on the street. Yeah, basically, yeah. Because um, I found myself like, I was, I was diagnosed ADHD uh, much later in life, like, like, like actually more recently. And I was looking into whether like C, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is a more successful, like technique to practice, to overcome those symptoms that one would like face when struggling with their ADD or ADHD or what kind of, um, like, statistical results or data you'd found concerning that because um a lot of things that i've seen is just you know you hit like they hit them with a, a prescription um yeah and i mean i started out as an opiate addict but the thing that was weird in my experience is you know most people would assume you take a vicodin or take um any kind of pain pill or even heroin they people would like think oh that's going to make them slow or sleepy or drowsy it had the adverse effect on me where opiates made me energetic and they made me up almost like if someone were to take speed but then when i would take methamphetamine it like mellowed me out instead of hyped me up if that makes sense yeah um, and i've done uh personal experience i did a podcast on that with someone who takes adderall and can go to sleep that's like you know you're entering into a big societal problem there with mis misdiagnosis and people being diagnosed uh, as ADD at a very young age, which is a common cause of addiction. If you go through the neurology, um, every neurologist has their own opinion. Every um, report has its own opinion. Um, every Everybody ha has their own opinion, but every neurologist will come to the terms that the age in which you first use is the one common thread of addiction. There's some that's Ted's report. It's a survey of addicts entering treatment between ages 18 and 30. And if you search it that way, you'll find it. Uh, and they surveyed addicts entering treatment. Only 2% started using after the age of 25. And it was like 74% before the age of 17. So uh, that's the one common thread that they can say is the age in which you first use. And that could be linked to physiological implications of the brain being more plastic. 
uh, and easily uh, molded because addiction is a, a disease, which means abnormal uh, abnormalities in structure or function of a specific location that isn't the result of direct physical injury. That's why addiction is a disease. That's the definition of a disease. So many people argue back and forth, is addiction a disease? Oh and then nobody ever pulls up the definition and says, hey, their brain has abnormalities in structure or function, and it's not from physical injury. So by definition, it would be a disease. Uh, nobody does that. So uh, when you're younger, I think there's a physiological implication. Uh, and there's also the psychological implication of stunting emotional development and learning how to handle emotions properly. And uh, that's the problem with misdiagnosis and giving Adderall to kids uh, at a young age without vetting and, and finding out other possible causes. Because kids take drugs. Uh, everybody takes drugs. Um, even the Happy Meal uh, oh, you know, yeah. that's sold, uh, sold to kids has like I could, I could tell you the ingredients uh, of chicken McNuggets that are advertised to five-year-olds. Uh, okay, uh, so there's white boneless chicken, water food, starch modified, salt seasoning, autolyzed yeast extract, natural flavoring, soft flour oil, dextrose, citric acid, sodium phosphates, natural flavor, battered, breaded in water, enriched flour, uh, niacin, wheat flour, iron, thiamine, mononitrate, mono riboflavin, folic acid, yellow corn flour, bleach white flour, food starch modified, salt, leavening, baking soda, sodium acid, phosphate, sodium aluminum phosphate, monocalcium phosphate, calcium lactate, spices, Fuck. wheat starch, dextro, corn starch. And this is what God we're feeding damn. the five-year-olds. And so they feel ADD. And rather than the parent vetting, hey, maybe we should stop giving him drugs by feeding him junk food shit food. Yeah. Maybe we should go to Whole Foods and be holistic and uh, vet that is a possible cause for attention deficit. Maybe we should question if the teachers suck. Maybe we <laughs> should look at clutter. Maybe they shouldn't be on Instagram for four hours a day. Uh, instead of that, they jump to the pill. And yep. that's like uh, a big problem in society. Uh, and it's a big it's a big lie. Like addiction, if you ask me, it's a societal problem. And it's funny how the addicts get blamed for the non-addicts problem. Because the, the problem with the non-addict is that like they claim to be Christian, a lot of them. Like uh, I'm in the United States and I would say that, you know, there's a lot of Christians here that are like, oh, I'm Christian, yeah, I'm Christian. And they like to kind wear that elitist. label. Yeah, they like to wear that label and speak for God, even though I would say the Bible has extremely good philosophical convictions and the way Christ spoke is not how he's represented by these people. Definitely. Uh, I, I personally believe that Christ is God. It's a personal thing for me. I would never label myself a Christian. I would never preach Christianity because I don't speak for God. I just, if there was a world nomination for who's God, I would vote for Jesus. That's basically what it means. I'm not saying I have a hundred percent faith. I'm just saying that I have some faith. Uh, well, God said, you know, Jesus said, um, how will we know your followers? When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And, uh, I think that can be equated, you know, because the Bible can be interpreted in many ways. But that's Definitely. I don't think that just meant physically like someone's starving. I think it also means spiritually because spiritually we get hungry. You know what I mean? Like yep. we get hungry for certain things and addicts that are suffering instead of like being there to help them in any way we can, of course, be cautious and protect ourselves. Of course, don't give them heroin. But rather than be there and showing love and compassion, the same kind of love and compassion that Jesus showed his followers, which he said his final commandment and really his last commandment was uh, love others as I love you. 
and he healed the sick and he forgave the prostitutes of no condemnation. Rather than following that example, they condemn the addict, they condemn the gays, they condemn everybody. And that's where addiction is really caused by them. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I feel like as society, if we came together and instead of condemning people saying, hey, you use heroin, so you're a piece of shit. So I'm going to make you feel like a piece of shit even more and beat you into sobriety. That doesn't work. No. That does not work. You, heroin addicts already accepted their life sucks. They yep. already are beaten down as much as possible. There's nothing you can say that can make it any worse for them. Exactly. Being there for them and being kind and considerate, and I'm really sorry you're going through that. If you ever just want to talk over the phone, uh, here's my number. If you ever uh, you know, need help with something, I'm there for you. I'm just letting you know that that behavior is unacceptable, but I know there's a person under there hurting that is, you know, quote unquote, a child of God, some believe uh, a person under there hurting by these behaviors. I can't be around these behaviors. I don't accept them, but I accept you. And I love you as a person, as a human being that's suffering underneath all that. All that's tossed out the fucking window, you know, on yeah. top of us. And then the hypocrisy of they're eating this shit food that has all these drugs. Like fast food kills 3.5 million people a year. Fuck. Um, all legal drugs combined kill 64,000 people a year. Wow. Uh, Holy shit. So you want to get on and then you want to get on this high horse about how, you know, you're so much better than the heroin addict. Well, you're condoning an industry that poisons five-year-olds with Happy Meals. Yeah. I mean, at least the heroin addict is going to an adult drug dealer. Like you're literally giving money to, to – uh, Something that's destroying children's minds. So go fuck yourself. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I mean? when it comes to those types of people and with what I'm doing, I mean, of course, I don't come out. I see I don't fight because I just don't give a shit, you know. Yeah. But what I do is I provide something else. And uh, that's what I hope to do with my videos and open up the discussion. And, of course, you can't come out too strong. You got to, you know, because people just get like fucking turned off and like bitter. That otherwise, if you kind of just let them into it, they they get the idea of what you're trying to do and they appreciate it and they understand it. And hopefully uh, they see that I use my story to help others and hopefully they help others. You know what I mean? Hopefully they Definitely. see how I, I got addicted to meth and the next time they're confronted with a meth addict, they understand, you know, the, how the meth addict's addicted and that they're not going to beat them into sobriety. And, and that's another thing with the stigma shit, man. Because like since 74% of addicts use before the age of 17, a lot of times when you see that homeless guy who's like, you know, 35 or whatever, and he's doing crack and people look down on them, it's okay to be cautious, but like they're afraid of them. And the difference between fear and caution is fear is like labeling and saying a person's inherently dangerous, whereas caution is more of like protecting yourself. Yeah, setting boundaries. Uh, Fear is a fear of a person is actually a stigma, but you have to be cautious because the behavior of addicts are irrational. But this fear of them and the stigma of them might be for a decision they made when they were 13. And really, uh, on the other side of it, it might not even be their decision. It might be a decision that their parents described, decided to give them Adderall before vetting other opportunities. Mm -hmm. So you're beating down somebody for a decision they made when they were 13 because when they, they make that decision at 13 and they continue using to 18, well, now their brain is different than yours and the way that their emotions are different than yours and they're stuck and uh, they're hopeless and you don't understand what they're going through. You have no right to judge them as a person. You can judge their behavior all that you want, but never condemn them as a person is what I go for. And uh, society is the cause of addiction and the way that we handle 
things in the way that we are, especially in the United States and how divided we are, like this new era of beliefism and, yeah. oh, you're a Trump supporter, Trump tard, and then, oh, oh you're, yeah. you're a liberal, libtard. And honestly, both sides can go fuck themselves. I'm exactly. open-minded. And I sit there and I chill and I if I have a side, side I kind of lean towards, but I'm open-minded to the other side. You know what yeah. I mean? And I'm, I'm like, dude, it's so ridiculous in the United States. Like, I, I – the only thing that makes me proud of being an American is the soldiers that have fought for our country Definitely. at this point and absolutely nothing else, nothing else. I totally am looking to get dual citizenship in Canada so I can move there. Uh, America can go fuck itself with the state <laughs> it's in and it has nothing to do with Trump or, or any of this stuff. It's just how fucking selfish we are and how addicted we are. And I'm, I'm, it sounds so much like gaslighting right now because I'm a part of the problem. And, uh, but the thing is, I know I have a problem, you know what I mean? That's the difference. It's like, what is our problem? Our problem is Trump's president, like for people, (laughs) our problem is that, you know, oh, you know, you know, we could become socialist or globalism or the Illuminati or the deep state. It's never, the problem is me and how I react to this. You can still say that the, the behavior of Trump is unacceptable. I don't condone it at all. Uh, I think it's wrong, but it's this whole condemnation and this shaming and this whole like putting each other down that is the cause of addiction. Because like when we do that, we isolate ourselves. And when we isolate ourselves, we seek something to bond with. And whether that be people or drugs, but it's really hard to bond with people currently in, in at least in the United States. And oh, uh, I totally agree. The, the, the last election, I've never seen such radical extremism on both ends of the political spectrum. Like they're just divided. They have such a wedge. And, you know, when I stand back and look at it, it's like ultimately both groups, whether you're Antifa or whether you're fucking, what the fuck is it? Um, what are they calling those fucking super right wing? Um, Quanon or something? QAnon. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, something like that fucking or alt-right and shit like they ultimately want this have the same values and want the same things but they have just entirely polar opposite ways of going about and achieving that they don't they don't celebrate we don't celebrate our differences we condemn each other for them and uh it's no different than when we condemned each other for a race and uh yeah you know then it's funny that we uh the heroin problem is not the heroin addict the problem is everybody it's the whole culture that we're in and of course people are going to want to use heroin in a culture like this because we're it's fucking miserable you got to work and slave away for 10 an hour while i mean like uh, apparently you know i paid more in taxes so million billionaires got a tax cut this year i paid more in taxes i you know people aren't getting raises there's not more jobs you could barely afford to live you got to pay for health insurance car insurance it's like everybody's out you work to survive nowadays in america and not only do you work to survive but in society we're very divided and we're very non-trustworthy of each other and uh, rude to each other. And that just sets a stage for, for using drugs to escape. And then we want to blame the addict. You know what I mean? Like that. And then that just shows how divided we are because it's never like we take responsibility for anything. And I'm not saying it's my fault. Someone's addicted. I'm saying society as a whole. Yeah. Uh, and we never really address like what it is we're doing. Like Maybe uh, getting kids on social media at 11 years old and having them go over our Instagram and be all over that stuff is not a good idea. We never address like ourselves and maybe like us condemning people for their beliefs is not a good idea anymore with like closed minded, short ended statements that have no logical thought. It looks like a freaking five year old. 
I mean, literally I see stuff in America and I'm like, dude, I feel like we learned about this in the fifth grade. Like it's polite to not call people names. You know yeah. what I mean? And like shame. But it's yeah. like, you're like a fucking 30 year old and you still haven't learned that lesson. And, uh, that's where, you know, the cause of drug addiction, um, people want to say, you know, it's the addict's fault and the addict that they are responsible for their own decisions. But in uh, reality, when we come up with solutions, it, we don't need to solve the addict. We need to solve ourselves. And if everybody got on that train and said, how can we feed them when they're hungry, give them something to drink when they're sick? How can we be of service to them You know, when they're sick? It's like, you know, someone has cancer. Um, we feel bad for them. We bring them flowers. We do this, that, and the other. Someone has addiction. We lock them up in prison. Exactly. You know what I mean? And we don't see it as a sickness. It's a moral dilemma. So if you don't have morals, fuck you. That's like how everybody is. Like they're on such a moral high horse. It's unbelievable. And I hate how they use the, uh, the Bible to justify themselves. And cause this is a freedom of religion country. I hate how the Bible's even brought into politics. Cause my religion could be, I, I believe in Satan. And that should be perfectly acceptable. It's my right. I yeah. believe not. I don't believe in straight marriage. I only believe in gay marriage. So you're saying I can't practice my religion. And it's just crazy how the Bible's and that what I said there, you know, it, that could be flipped around in many different ways. Of course. Yeah. And, pe and you know, people do it people all the time. Are, like say I'm taking it a little too far and I might be and I really don't give a shit. You know, this is just me venting and not everything I say, I think out. And that's another part of the division. It's like on YouTube, you say one thing and slip up. People are saying, oh, so you're saying Satanism should be legal. So I should be able to sacrifice a goat in the street. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And that's how close minded and stupid they are. What I'm saying is like it says in the Bible that um, – if, if your kid talks back to your mother that the kid should be stoned to death. So if you're going to go in there about saying like gay marriage is inappropriate, I, I don't think it's that. It says some in the Bible, like if you talk back to uh, somebody or something in some way, there's so many references to where you could be stoned to death <laughs> that technically you should be stoned to death. If you really want to turn it into a Bible country and follow the Bible religiously, Old Testament and New, we would just be stoning each other to death. You know what I mean? If you want to pull out gay, being gay, which it doesn't even say is an abomination. And this really ties into drug addiction. And the way it does is that when you have a sick society, you're naturally going to have people that get sick. Yeah. And, and uh, when you go on the news, it's like, how do we solve the heroin epidemic? We make heroin harder to get. We put them in prison longer. Fucking stupid. It's never like we need to be uh, like, that's why I like, I love Portugal. Like cause Portugal really got their head together and yeah. actually hired professional scientists to give them input, which the United States has never really done. You know, they just, they go with the war on drugs. It was a campaign push because some guy wanted to be elected as a Republican because he wanted to stroke his little tiny penis because it was <laughs> way too small. And the only way he could overcompensate for it is be in a position of power. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, God, I lost my train of thought for a second there. But, you know, power is uh, an addiction in, in itself that I see in these politicians. You know, it almost reminds me of someone who's addicted to meth or any other drug. It's like their their access to money and the way they use that money as a tool to like to make all these decisions that affect literally millions of people. That's a high in itself. So, yeah, and it's like, yeah, I can't say I'm I like I think about that all the time. And I think, well, if I was in the, that perch, like, it, let's say I'm, if I was in a politician's like situation in their shoes, I can't say with 100 percent confidence that I wouldn't 
sub, like be subdued by the same types of greed and wealth and like selfishness that they are currently undergoing it, you know? Um, but what I like how you, when you were talking about religion, I've noticed that a lot of the junkies that I would interact with actually have more of a Jesus like moral, like philosophy than the people who actually go to church because they, they know that people look down at them like they're the scum of the earth, but they've accepted it and they just don't fucking care. And they just focus on doing them. And usually sometimes, I mean, I've seen a lot of junkies be in active addiction for years and live a lot happier lives than people working regular nine to fives. Like people flying signs in LA can make three times as much as someone working a regular nine to five, but they just had to like, you know, let down their ego and let down their fear and just put it all out there. Well, you know, my belief on it is, you know, people go to a people go to 12 step fellowships because they've been to hell and people go to church because they're afraid of going to hell. Ooh, I and like uh, I believe that when someone says, you know, if I say my name's Philip and I'm an alcoholic, what I'm saying is my name's Philip and I'm a sinner. And uh, when you have everybody in the group sharing what, what we're doing is saying nobody in here speaks for the program. So nobody in here speaks for God. We're a collective consciousness. Whereas at church, you have one guy at the front that speaks for God, apparently. Kind He's like been appointed. He went to college. And apparently in college, you learn about the being that created the universe, infinite space, the stars, matter, animals, love, passion, art. So you could just learn that in college and speak for it rather than have people come together and be his creation and speak together. Uh, and to go back to like the, so people don't understand like the war on drugs was a campaign push. It's no different than, um, Trump's build the wall campaign push. That's what it was. That's how it started. It wasn't that we got a bunch of scientists together that really understand it, like addictionologists that really understood addiction, did a bunch of studies and came with a level-headed answer. It was like, okay, so these conservative Christians, what will make them happy? Let's do the war on drugs and be hard on drugs. Let's build a fucking wall. It's the same exact kind of mentality. So, and that's why the war on drugs was born. Now, Portugal, what they did is they um, – they hired scientists because their problem got so bad. It was like a big percentage of the population was using heroin. And the scientists came back and after doing tons of studying, they, their conclusion was make heroin legal. Uh, and uh, so then um, what they have in Portugal is uh, people will go into an injection site where they'll get shot up with heroin. I don't know. The like exactly government issued shot. Yeah. And then they, they, they get them jobs and they give them housing. Yeah. Uh, they help them. Uh, just like someone's hungry, you give them something to eat. Like, you know, they don't beat them down. They actually try to lift them up. And uh, one of the officials in the United States asked Portugal, like, how how does that make a heroin addict quit using drugs? And uh, the Portugal official looked at him like he's the biggest moron in the earth and kind of just said, because when their life gets better, they stop wanting to use heroin. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's where the societal problem comes into play because we're not making each other's lives better. We're just so focused on ourselves. Everybody's out for materialistic or physical gain. They think if they have a million dollars, they think if they have like the ultimate Bukaki library, <laughs> they have like, you know, all these things that they're going to be uh, happy. Yeah. And uh, they, they, they get those things and they realize either, you know, they're never content. They're discontent that they don't have those things or they have them and it's still not enough. Like, you know, that's like how our culture is. And it's taught at a very young age, it's taught. Get a get a college diploma so you can plaster it on your wall and you can have money. I get wanting needing needs like having a roof over your head, 
having uh, transportation, having food on the table, anything over that is, uh, you know, and you have to have money and savings in case things go wrong and to protect your family. Anything over that to me is just, it's, it's literally just greed and it's just the dividing factor. And so you, you see that money clearly isn't enough. Like, you know, people like Mark Zuckerberg, I think I saw one time that his net worth was like $40 billion. And it's like, dude, like, you know, you're sick, but people, people glorify that. They think, wow, he's a billionaire. Trump's a businessman. He has billions of dollars. I look at a billionaire as the weakest motherfucker. And that might be me stigmatizing and being me hypocritical as shit. But I'm like, dude, you have so much money that you can, you and your family can live for forever. And there's starving people in the street and there's addicts struggling that can't afford treatment. Fuck you, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and honestly, it's their loss. Like, I'm not really resentful at them. I, I kind of just don't fight anyone or anything. But if they don't find value in those things, then they're never content. It's never enough money for them. So they're miserable. So in the end of the day, those people, I hope they get better because they're sick inside. But we glorify sickness. We think it's a good thing. And that's the American way. And uh, we glorify sickness when it comes to wealth and uh, career and social status, and we condemn it when it comes to addiction, mm-hmm. even though they're exactly the same thing. There is literally no difference. The only thing difference is um, there really is no difference. I can't I can't even think of one. Um, and that's like I feel very strongly about that. And uh, yeah. I don't advocate strongly like this um, on my channel and stuff, but I hope that people like open their minds at some point and kind of because if you come out too strong, then you get this the closed-minded people make up a majority and they're just going to attack you. Um, <clears throat> well, like I, I, I think all that's really interesting. I, and the thing is with our podcasts, I've always from the, from day one, I've always said like, we're just exploring ideas. I'm not like trying to enforce any ideology down anybody's throat. Like yeah, I'm just here. trying to f- figure it out and give you my experience and take it for what you will. Like, when I was diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer, I was 24, you know, and I didn't know what the fuck to do. And over the years, I've also realized, you know, it w- my addiction kind of stemmed from genetic predisposition and inability to n- have the proper tools to know how to cope with traumatic life events that, you know, were going on in my, you know, in my past and not knowing how to cope and then not even knowing I had that genetic predisposition once I was, you know, found opiates, it was, it was all, you know, game over. Um, but it's just like, uh, I kind of forgot where, where I was going from that, but I wanted to ask you because I just did an interview with someone from Switzerland and who, that they had kind of have a similar kind of policy as Portugal. And surprisingly enough, he was telling me um, some of the other like sides, like the negative aspects of how they're going about, um, you know, treating addiction. And the, what I kind of picked up from it was, and from like interviewing other addicts is that a lot of the addicts aren't just addicted to the drug, but also addicted to the lifestyle that came with it and the freedoms that, you know, came with, you know, just spending your whole day, you're basically have one, you know, goal and that's to get drugs and get high off them. But, um, the, the, it kind of took me back or made me think like, maybe it's because 
that lifestyle is almost more of a hunter gatherer type of situation than the people who are stuck in their mundane, you know, repetitive nine to five bullshit that, you know, they might have a career or a job that's not inspiring or doesn't fulfill them. And, um, why, like what may cause a lot of people to go back to relapse isn't maybe even the drugs themselves, but the, um, the satisfaction or the fulfillment they'd get from having not as many pressures of just what I mean, they probably subconsciously think is just useless bullshit to have self sustainability, you know, if that makes sense. Well, the the thing about it is I'm not saying that United States should make every drug legal. I think personally over the age of 25, they should be legal by prescription anybody and they should have to consult a physician first. I think it should be legal, but I'm not saying that we should. So the culture in Switzerland is going to be different than the culture in Portugal. What I'm saying is like we, we have a cultural problem and yeah, the addict's responsible for their choice, but society takes zero responsibility Matter yeah, of fact, we like to test them. And, uh, and the truth is society is responsible because we made this a miserable country to live in and, and people want to do drugs here to escape it. And uh, not only that, we've allowed these these drugs into our children's food. Um, we've mm-hmm. given our children Adderall and the the parents take no responsibility in that. You know, I'm just listening to my doctor and stuff. But in reality, like they have responsibility to vet they're and do research and understand what it is that they're putting in their kids' bodies. And the corporations have responsibility. The doctor has responsibility. You know, they prescribe Adderall to kids that are between ages two to five. Oh, yeah. I they mean, have fentanyl that's for infant, like newborn babies now that are, I mean, they're low dose, but it's still like that's fucking fentanyl. You're kind of yeah. setting them up. And the cost of health care and the fact that, say, I, uh, you know, I have something happen to me that's like physical and it's not life threatening. So I can't go to the ER, but I'm sick, you know, and now I have to self-medicate it and we don't take responsibility for that either. You know, if I have back pain, you know, really bad back pain, but I don't have health insurance and they want to charge me 20 grand because doctors have malpractice insurance and we have health insurance. I used to think, man, doctors could just charge less. No, they have to charge as much as they charge because their malpractice insurance is so high. So it's all of the insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies. Rather than blame them, we blame the addict, we blame the drug dealer, we blame everything but the true source. And yep. uh, we don't we don't look at ourselves and how we can change because we can't control other people. And I think the United States being hit with addiction is being hit with a monster of their own making. Yep. You know what I mean? And uh, I get that the addict's responsible for their choice, but it's like society takes zero responsibility at all. As a matter of fact, they condemn them. They think they're going to hell and they like trash and they call them junkies, druggies, throw them off to the side. And uh, then they go and eat their happy meal or whatever and drink their beer. And uh, they're perfectly okay with that. I mean, that's how cold and calculated. And the worst part is that a lot of these people do it in the name of Christ. That's the worst part because – is a philosophy the you know whether or not you believe God you know our, our Jesus uh, resurrected and went up to heaven and was the Son of God he said powerful things that make a lot of sense and if society were to follow them truthfully especially these so-called Christians and I think people naturally follow them they don't need the Bible to do it I'm oh, just exactly. saying it's, it's a guideline and the I hate that people represent the faith that wrong so much so that there's more of a stigma on Christianity now than there is on drug addiction. Oh, definitely. Um, that's like the most heavy stigma. And I, I don't care venturing out into that. Uh, that's the problem in America and with drug addiction. And 
it's really sad. So like the difference between Switzerland and Portugal, it could be a cultural difference. It could be that Switzerland really isn't out of that uh, stigma department yet. I'm not saying that we really need to change our policies. We just need to change ourselves because we need to focus on what we can change and, you know, maybe push for policies. Like that's the thing, like with the society nowadays, it's like, there's so much fucked up shit happening, like really bad stuff on the internet. Um, you know, things out there, not, not on the internet, uh, necessarily just things that happen. I'm trying to think of a good example and I, I really can't, um, it's like even with healthcare, like, you know, if someone's diabetic and they, they can't get insulin and they die or, or children can't get healthcare and they're dying. And it's like, rather than focus on that and like things like that are real important or like, all right, say like addict gets, um, he gets caught with a pot brand brownie in Texas. Well, in Texas, since that's a, um, it's put under penalty group two because it's like a concentrated compound. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes it a schedule one, which makes it more illegal than methamphetamine, fentanyl, oh my God. like a, a PCP. It's more illegal than that. And so since it's under penalty group two, the, these kids can get, and they weigh the brownie. They don't separate the THC from it. So if it's like a 400 gram batch of brownies, the kid can get life in prison. That's fucking uh, and, insane. And even if they don't get life in prison, they get slapped at the felony drug charge. Now they can't go to college. They can't get a job. Their can't whole life is loans. fucked. And yeah. guess why? Guess why this happens is because prisons are privatized and they're making money off of it. Yep. Rather than care about those issues and doing some about that, we're so focused on YouTube's, you know, monetization. We're so focused on Instagram's promoting anorexia. Like the only thing you really see on the news that people even fight for is their social media. They don't fight for each other anymore. They just don't care if it's not happening to them and it's not happening to their family. They don't give a fuck. But Instagram is like apparently like a digital square space that like people live in nowadays and they mm -hmm. see it as like more important than real people that are really like struggling and uh it's just how we're wired and and we're i'm fucked up too you know but at least i know i am that's yeah, like the, me too i'm still fucked up i'm still selfish self-seeking self-centered but i know that and uh because i know that um i'm more sympathetic to those who are struggling and I, I'm more of, rather than ask myself, how can I beat them out of this? How can I save them? How can I have the Messiah complex and be their savior? I'm more like, how can I be a friend? How can I help them? That's it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are afraid to speak out at all because of what we've seen happen or the tools that have been, you know, implemented by certain like, you know, political groups who are, you know, will go after your sponsorships or go after, you know, you know, things that... Uh, you know, prevent you from living that, you know, people are, are more afraid or more manipulated through fear to even, you know, challenge each other's uh, opinions. And so now people it, it, like when I see like certain people on t say something on Twitter and then say the wrong shit or like wh whatever happened to Roseanne or with her bullshit, it's like instead of like sitting down and like actually having a discussion, it's like condemn, shun, point at everyone else, except we're not as a whole, as a society or as a, you know, country, all taking the, the brunt of what's been caused. And I think in my opinion, at least for right now, I can see so much more positive change happening with just like, you know, two or three simple solutions of, you know, don't have, you know, get rid of unlimited, uh, campaign contributions for, uh, you know, politicians, um, you know, unprivatized the prison industrial complex and, 
decriminalize and have more harm reduction uh, implementation within our, our fucking yeah. dr- drug policies and laws. Well, the, the, the thing is, you have to understand that uh, people in politics, they just they don't give a fuck. They just want to be elected. And while we know that's a good idea, um, even the liberals and the conservatives, they don't they don't they aren't going to do what what's good for their country. They're going to do what's good for themselves. It goes exactly. back to that whole self-seeking nature. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not good for Trump to do that because then his approval rating will go down because his fan base would think that that's being soft and giving handouts. You know, like yeah. if you were to say, let's help addicts get jobs. Oh, you're going to give them handouts now. And whoa, you're going to make this communism. You know, <laughs> on the other side with socialism, it's like, oh, now we're going to be like, Viet- you know, we're going to be like Vietnam. We're going to be communist. It's just such extreme on both sides. But you have to understand, like, politics is people don't give a shit. Like, I, I was watching the news, and it, it was so f- crazy what they were doing. It was so childish. It's like this person rigged the votes for that person. This person did this to that person. And it's like, don't you want just an honest vote and just honestly, like, being chosen? No, they want to cheat their way into it or even uh, changing the electoral college so that it's more Republican-friendly and stuff, like manipulating it so that they yep. win. Not like genuinely wanting to win. You know, they don't actually win. They cheat. And uh, because of that, they're never going to push for these things. Uh, What it comes down to is we as a people need to push for these things. If all the United States population, let's just put it this way, there's more of us than there are them. Way more. And the the problem is with us is that we're too absorbed into our social media and into ourselves. And I'm not saying everyone's like this. And I'm like this, too. So I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. I'm too absorbed into that to really go out and say, what can I do? Uh, is there a petition? Like you can call your local Congress. You know what I mean? You can mm-hmm. call like these people and really voice your opinion. Everybody in the United States did that. Then this could happen, but you can never expect politicians to do that. They yeah, just want to get votes. It's too and, radical and nobody would vote for them. And the deals that go behind closed doors that we are, you know, probably still, you know, unaware of. It's like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't like Trump, but I also don't like Hillary either. I think she was like just the most blatant fucking liar and dishonest person I've ever seen. And she's even in some of her fucking speeches, she's uh, made to banks say, well, we have to have a fucking certain stance to the public and another stance behind closed doors. It's like, well, you're just fucking lying then and saying whatever you think you need to say to get in. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's just kind of like, I f- almost feel like, we're beginning to see this, the beginning symptoms of like the, you know, um, the undoing of like a society that was once a lot more structured and had a better foundation. And um, it's like, who who the fuck is going to like, it could be one or anything that could cause a huge, you know, economic collapse. And once that happens, it's like then people care because it affects them, but they're always going to wait until it's too late. That's the bottom uh-huh. line. And like going back to what you say, it's like I don't like Hillary Clinton's behavior. I don't like Trump's behavior, but I like Trump and Hillary as people because I understand even though they're behaving in a certain way, there's a person underneath there that's sick. You know, those yeah. are sick. They're sick people um, with Trump's behavior. Uh, it just it, it the behavior I don't like and people are always like, oh, you did just fake news. I actually watch Fox, by the way, uh, just to get that out there. I know like I watch Fox and I watch the other side and um, mm-hmm. it's his behavior. Uh, it's what he says. It's what physically comes out of his mouth. What's he yeah. doing now? Calling someone a pencil neck. What's he doing? Mocking somebody that's disabled. 
what's he doing? You know, bashing, calling all Mexicans rapists and murderers and saying we should build a wall. I mean, what if Canada was doing that to us? We never sit there and question that. But that behavior that he's doing, um, that behavior is very divisive. And you can see very. it at his campaign rallies. Lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. And it's just like... <laughs> It's just this such a sick society that we're in. And of course, people are going to use drugs. I don't blame them. I personally think that it's, I, I don't condone it, but like who, who the fuck wouldn't like, you yeah. know, I, especially if they don't have family and they were brought up with a rough childhood and on top of that, they're in this society. I don't blame them for wanting to escape by smoking fucking crack. Like I don't blame yeah. them. I, I think that's like a normal reaction. I'm just there for them trying to understand uh, I don't blame people for wanting to escape in social media. I'd want to, too. I just hope people wake up. And unfortunately, it seems like in America, they don't wake up until it's too late. And I mean, it goes down to like helping the addict because I get asked that so many times. I think it's OK to condemn the behavior of the addict and be cautious around them, but never condemn the addict as a person. And it's hard to differentiate those two. Yeah, it's hard to say your behavior is unacceptable, but I love you. And it's as simple as that. And the reason it's hard is not it's very simple in the fact that you could just say it the way I just phrased it. Like what you just did is completely unacceptable to me. I want you to know I love you. Deep down you're hurting. That's why you're acting this way. The problem is our emotions get involved. And when our emotions get involved, we get irrational. And uh, yep. we could say, yeah, that's the right way to phrase it. So that way they feel like they're worth something and they have something to fight for. But at the same time, their behavior is killing them. You're separating. You're not shaming them. You're basically uh, it's kind of more guilt tripping. And guilt is healthy. Uh, shame isn't. Guilt is saying a behavior I did in the past is unacceptable. And then shame is saying I'm unacceptable for what I did in the past. Yeah. Uh, but when your emotions get involved trying to help an addict, it's easy to cross the two and shame them and not realize that's what you're doing. So that's why I always like recommend support groups like Al-Anon and Naranon, uh, which are free support groups for loved ones of addicts. And uh, I think it, it, people that go to those groups, it doesn't just help the addict, but it helps them because they grow. And I think that the 12 step program. Uh, I mean, I, I almost feel like starting one called assholes anonymous. <laughs> I, I really think it, the 12 step program is it. a beautiful thing because it, it teaches you how to stop fighting everyone and everything, learn to love others. That's like the whole point of the program, uh, oh, yeah. learning how to make amends, you know, for your wrongs. That's why it works for me. So the 12 steps did save my life. Uh, if without him, I would not be sober today. I could say that, uh, I can't say it with certainty because I'm not a prophet. Um, but looking back, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't have this over time I have now. And I feel very strongly about that. So that's I mean, what I, I wanted to ask you is, uh, cause what was the, or what were the tools you implemented that were successful for you to get off of drugs? And, and then, because I know there's like a physical aspect, but more importantly, what I wanted to, um, like know from your experiences after, you know, even the post-acute withdrawal symptoms. Um, how did you handle cravings and the mental and the emotional things that came, you know, I guess after the pink cloud, it kind of hit, kind of hit, you hit the wall, so to speak. You, I know you said you, you practiced the steps and, um, but was there anything else that you found that worked that anyone listening to may have like not be aware of? I, uh, did what other people told me to do. I mean, to break it down as simple as I can, like other people with longer sobriety than me. I did whatever they told me to do in specific situations. So like, you know, it's like I fucked over this girl. What should I do? They say make amends to her. That's what I did. I, I kind of just like the, the key to sobriety for me was willingness. 
uh, I didn't want to do those things. Like one, one time it was like, you know, I stole candy bars from the Dollar Tree and my sponsor suggested make them into the Dollar Tree. I did it. Um, I did whatever, because like, to be honest, like I just want to experience something new and I knew I had to do new things and doing new things is never comfortable. So oh, yeah. in, uh, re- really helped me was listening to the social worker, the counselor, my path to recovery is very cliche. It wasn't just listening to them, but when I heard them make a suggestion, I did it a hundred percent. And it got to a point where now I can think for myself for the most part, I still do need suggestions. I still call my friends that I trust that are in recovery and get suggestions from them. And, and now I can kind of like weigh it cause I've been there, but now I use my experience to help others and give suggestions to other people of what I would do if I were in their situation or what I was told to do. Um, that being said, I think dieting has been very helpful for me and it's not talked about enough. And it's one of my biggest critique of the 12 step program is, um, Bill Wilson wrote it in 1934 before foods were actually drugs. And I guarantee if he knew the way food was going to be in the future, he would have had at least a couple of paragraphs about dieting Definitely. and avoiding, or, you know, we would avoid, uh, he probably would say it with that typical big book language, we shall avoid, uh, <laughs> eating psychoactive drugs laced in food, you know? And, uh, I think that, uh, going on an elimination diet and, uh, getting rid of all allergens helps a lot with the acute withdrawal. There's also amino acid replacement therapy. I've heard about uh, that. There's holistic, yeah, holistic things you can do. Uh, I actually have a blog on that on diet probe. It's pretty Oh, oh wow. Yeah. It's, um, but, uh, there's the things like that. I feel very strongly about dieting and exercise because like what do addicts do? We eat drugs to feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes sense that, you know, at some point we would eat food to feel better, um, but we never, we never do. And, um, that's like an important thing to do. Like I'm on the carnivore diet. I, I, trust oh, are me, you? I've, been, uh, yeah, I've been vegan in the past. And, um, how long are you, have you been on the carnivore diet? About 30 days. And, um, out of curiosity, how, how are you feeling from it? Oh, well, I, unbelievably amazing. I mean, I'm not a nutrition expert. I'm not condoning it. And even though I'm saying it's amazing, it's kind of like that. No offense, but it's amazing. Yeah, but I'm just <laughs> going to throw that out there that I don't know if it's safe. I was yeah. desperate. Um, I was going through arthritis, depression, anxiety, Oof. insomnia, all kinds of problems like memory loss. And I tried veganism. I prefer not to eat animals. I've tried ketogenic. I've tried everything. And uh, Michaela Peterson and Jordan Peterson and, uh, a YouTuber by the name of actually originally came from vegetable police talked about the beef cleanse. And I just thought it was a funny sounding yeah. beef. Cleanse. And I would tell my friends, I want to go on the beef cleanse. And they're all looking at me like, it's kind of, seems like a joke. But then when I dug deeper and I talked to Michaela once and I was really happy that she messaged me back. Cause she's like, I don't know. I think she's, she's pretty, she's a big deal. She was on Joe Rogan and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, she inspired me to start it. And, um, so I started it and, uh, day one, I felt insanely better. And I, th- I don't know if it's just, it's, um, eating all meat or removing all food additives. Cause when I was doing keto and veganism, I was still shopping at Walmart. So, uh, now I shop at whole foods and everything is like that. It is grass finished or wild caught. Yeah. And I think it's just removing all food additives. So like how I feel now, it feels in the daytime. If, if somebody, I could say, I feel like I'm on maybe a 25 milligrams of MDMA naturally. So like if you were to break a quarter off an ecstasy pill, cause I feel like everything's brighter. I feel more empathogenic. I feel more euphoric. 
I feel like uh, it's not a sense of well-being. I just feel well-being. I feel and my arthritis is completely gone. My anxiety oh, wow. and depression are completely gone. And then at night, uh, I sleep like a baby. I even take naps in the afternoon now. And uh, so uh, at night, it almost feels like I get a small shot of morphine. Oh, um, wow. That's how much. So I think that dieting is um, – it wasn't a part of my sobriety. Like I said, it really only started impacting me a month ago, but <clears throat> I wish it was brought up to me a bit more and emphasized a bit more in rehabs and stuff like that. Cause even rehabs, the food that they're giving to their people that are staying at their facilities should be all grass fed, grass finished, uh, naturally grown with good soil, no fertilizers, no GMOs. I Definitely. can guarantee you it's not. Oh no. So like, that's where a lot of the, you know, that, that's where the fucked up society we're in. And it all just circles around to that. And there's so much misinformation out there or different, like, like you said, they're ketogenic and there's all these different diets. It's hard to kind of, for the individual to kind of differentiate and see what works for themselves. Oh yeah. I do in vegan bashers, dude. I've been dealing with them lately and I hate that they go back to the paleolithic primitive men eat this way. Nobody knows. Nobody yeah. fucking knows. Nobody knows. And then like the truth is like, we don't know what primitive man ate. And there's a chance that if you, Hey, if you're uh, if you're white, that means evolutionarily speaking that you adapted to becoming white. So you could absorb more vitamin D because there was less sun. Yeah. Where there's less sun, it's usually more cold. Where there's less sun, crops typically don't grow. So mm -hmm. primitively speaking, if we were to go back to the Paleolithic area, white people would have ate primarily meat. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas Amazonian people and, and people from South America might have ate more vegetables and fruits, you know, like tropical people basically. And, and then their skin color would show that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so that, that just goes – but we're like a mix and blend of all these different things, you know what I mean? Like, and so I think that it's important to explore what diet works for you. But I just, I hate that vegans bash with that because nobody knows because no one was actually there. And it makes sense to me that even if we did eat vegetables and fruits, we would eat them within their season and it'd be a highly elimination diet. I don't think that we ate like a hundred different vegetables and fruits. And I think if we even did attempt to do that, we would have died because we would have ate something poisonous and we would know to stop doing that. We would just stick to what we know works. Probably would have watched what the animals we eat eat. So in other words, if we're eating deer, we would watch what the deer eat. And if we yeah. were eating an animal, eat mushrooms, we'd say, okay, those are the mushrooms we can eat. It still would have been high elimination, even Paleolithic area, even if we only ate vegetation, we didn't eat like a hundred different types and supplement with all these things. Mm -hmm. So you want to get into like the natural, how we naturally are, it would probably be, we eat only five different types of vegetables and fruits and we eat meat. That's probably most, or we don't meet, eat meat at all. And that's fine. But even then it would be high elimination. You wouldn't eat like every freaking vegetable in the world. Yeah. And uh, I, I just, I, it bothers me because I think dieting like drugs are subjective and I think exploring these things in recovery, um, it's exciting, you know, it's just another aspect of life. And, uh, the tools I use, like the ultimate goal is like, well, what, what keeps me sober today? I could give you a list of a hundred things cause there's a hundred different things that make me happy. Some more so than others. And, uh, I think exploring and finding those things was so critical for me. And a, like the, uh, 12 step fellowship was one of those things. Mm -hmm. I haven't gotten to a meeting in about a year practically. Like I have gone here and there, but you know, it gets to a point you kind of grow out of it or something, at least for me. I've seen but, people yeah, do that same. Yeah. But it was, it was, it really helped me in early sobriety. And it was one of those things that still is, I enjoy going to meetings and 
Um, sobriety is having multiple streams of joy, having multiple things that make you happy, not being so focused on one thing. Relapse is like my YouTube channel's taking off, so now I'm happy about YouTube, so I'm just going to focus on that all the time and neglect everything else. Mm -hmm. Eventually, it stops making me happy, and I become miserable, and then I want to use drugs. That's what happens. Yeah, definitely. Um, That's fucking interesting because, yeah, I was finding myself in my early recovery definitely – like subconsciously or subliminally just replacing what drugs I was like doing with unhealthy behavior or like sex addiction or, you know, I was definitely finding myself acting out in ways that I had definitely had to step outside of who I was and observe, you know, what was going on inside me internally. Have you, have you ever done, uh, I know we're almost at two hours, but I wanted to ask you if you've done any research on nootropics or like the vitamin and uh, supplement industry because I've, from what I've looked into with pr- proprietary blends and how they're labeling what's even in like their fucking products, it's pretty much just as fucked as like pharmaceutical industry and, and can be like snake oil or just as dishonest. And there's a big kind of uh, push now with, with a lot of, I mean, I'm not going to fucking drop names, but I've just seen a lot of like, it's like marketing towards all right this is the solution you're gonna fucking take the like vice had this uh fuck i forget what ever nootropic it was but it can get so confusing um because some nootropics have caffeine in them some don't and then you don't even know is it the caffeine that's making me fire on more synapses or is it not and uh, i didn't know if you have done any like looking into that no i haven't but it doesn't surprise me yeah. It's like just this fucked up cycle that we're in and it it it's, it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Uh um I don't know if you chuck like listen to like Dr. um Rhonda Patrick on Joe Rogan's podcast, but I I think the most solid thing like information I've gotten has been listening to her um as a biologist and a nutritionalist, it, but it's just like so fucking complex and I don't know. I guess um, I'm still like myself. I'm still I'm pretty fucking early in my clean time. So like where where are you at? I mean, to be honest, I have like fucking 10 days. (laughs) I had one Um, relapse um, and uh, I even came clean about it on this podcast. And I I had like I've always been um, which I found out through, you know, talking to different counselors and whatnot. I've had this weird underlining issue since I was diagnosed with cancer that I've always been kind of like having this obsession deep within my like psyche for wanting to control every aspect of my life, even the things that I probably have no ability to control. So with my addiction, I always would like be very outspoken on like, you know, I, I didn't steal from my friends. I didn't pawn off all my shit. Um, and I always had this, like I had this perfected this, um, self wean because towards the end, I mean, I was, I was an IV heroin user, but then even after that, I upgraded to speed balls and goofballs, and then I was addicted to that. Um, so I would, what I would usually do is, um, I'd always have like a safety net. I'd have like a few Suboxone or methadones, but I would have a strict rule where like, all right, I'd only take Suboxone for three, four days, and then I'd switch to Kratom, you know, and taper down slowly, maybe use some weed. And then once the physical aspects were gone, then I could just, I wouldn't, I, I never had to go to a detox that way, but. I kind of like, to be honest, 
I probably haven't talked about this, but I even when I had before that last relapse, I saw this relapse coming even years ago because I knew once I saw the first signs or symptoms of having to prepare to uh, b- uh, bury my parents, I knew that was going to be the one thing that was going to be the most challenging aspect and that could take me out. If anything could take me out, it would be that. So in the last month or two, I had to deal with, um, I had a sister who had a miscarriage, um, and health complications and then my dad had heart problems. And then, um, so I, then I, you know, I numbed out from those, you know, because I, that was just all around me. And then after that, you know, like, like a girl I was dating, you know, fucked me off and, you know, we broke up or whatever. And then being that outcast kind of, you know, situation just led me kind of further into deep. And it was like, you know, fucking week long fucking binge, but, um, yeah, I'm fucking fresh in my recovery too. So I'm actually probably going to do, and well, not probably, I am going to do inpatient, um, in Santa Barbara, um, and just moved out down there. Um, I just turned down a fucking j- a really nice job just because I kind of was reckoning like self-aware that things that, cause I've never been in rehab before. Um, I've done every court order drug program under the sun and I'd always, you know, tough it out and I miss rehab. Yeah. It's I, fun. Um, what, uh, how many do you You'll do, like it? If it's a good one, I mean, it I is know, actually, it's yeah, called the Santa Barbara rescue mission. It's, uh, from all the research I've done, it's the best like state sponsored, um, inpatient program there is. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's like a vacation. I mean, at least for me, it was. I mean, you're surrounded by chicks all the time, and and you're talking like recovery with like, and there's all. I mean, there's like internal drama, which for me, I'm not like a drama buff, but it gets kind of like it's like orange is the new black. Like, it's probably <laughs> yeah. not a really honest reflection of what prison's like. It makes prison almost seem fun. That's kind of how rehab is. It's like kind of shitty, but in a fun way. You know, it's weird. Oh yeah, uh, when I was in L.A. County Jail at Twin Towers. We, I mean, for the most part, yeah, there's shitty aspects of it, but we found ways to have fucking fun. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how rehab is. I liked it too, because I'm into recovery and like learning about it. Yeah, this is probably the first time that I've actually taken on um, the fellowship and like actually put effort into working the steps that, and it's not court ordered, you know? Um, so. It's been like a kind of a new like transitional experience for myself, but it's, it's like, it's like, I'm like for once I'm excited about going and stepping outside of my comfort zone and like growing from there. Um, and it's also, you know, a regional change, you know, when, when, um, I've noticed at least here, uh, when I'd go to meetings and people would fire, fi- you'd open up about a relapse or whatnot, it was kind of, um, clicky and outcast, uh, mentality. And I understand, you know, for themselves, like a, they got to set up healthy boundaries to keep themselves safe, but, um, it can be, you know, as an addict struggling out there, one can feel kind of lost and not know where to turn to or what answers to, to seek out or what will work from them. And I think for me, myself, it's been a lot of trial and error and not like the falling down aspect, but the bouncing back from falling down yeah you just keep swinging because that's the thing like and that's the thing with 
everything. You just keep swinging and swinging, and eventually it's going to stick. It's like, I believe the universe, whatever you want to call it, God, the universe, destiny, fate, I don't give a shit. But yeah. eventually the stars align and things work out as long as you just keep trying and you know that's what you want in the long long term and you're willing to do things about it. Uh, of course, you're going to like go to meetings, be supercharged for recovery for a week, and then drop off and not go for like a month. But mm-hmm. like the point is that you keep going, you know, or you keep doing things. So I have to get going, but it was really good talking to you, man. All right. I yeah. Really appreciate it. it Sorry for keeping you on for so long. I was only planning on going on for an hour, but we're almost at two. And you were no, just talking about fine. so much interesting stuff. Is there anything you want to plug uh, while you're still on here or? Nah, not really. I mean, if you guys want to check me out on YouTube at CG Kid, you can. Um, my Instagram at CG Kid. Um, I, I, uh. I'm very, I respond to all DMs on Instagram. Okay. So if you want to, anybody wants to message me directly, uh, they can DM me there. I recommend following me as well because uh, I'm trying to get to that 10,000 followers so I can post links. So nice. that'd be helping me out, but nobody has to. Uh, that's it. And nice. also a podcast on Spotify, the CG Kid podcast. That's it. Perfect. <laughs> like, I have nothing, but then I like three things. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, it was really a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Greed, in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked upward surge of mankind, and greed, you mark my words, will not only save Telgar Cain, but that other malfunction of the world.